how do you say in French, Scott, you fucking idiot, go <laughs> home and go to bed? I'm home right now. <laughs> yeah, he's already <laughs> I got plenty of sleep last night. Hello and welcome. We are all the sons of CPAs. Join us as we question the current state of the accounting and tax industry with the next generation of professionals leading this space. We are all the change agents in an industry fraught with money and inertia. Let's begin the sons of CPAs with your hosts today, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano. And special guest, Marie Phillips. Marie, that is Hi. right. I said your name right. You did. I have a pretty easy one, I think. That's sweet. Oh, I, was, I was crossing my fingers on that. I didn't know how, how you could mess that one up. But. Phillips. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, she is French. Yeah. So. I love that. I So is it? Do, do you say like is it Marie or Mar like Marie? Yeah, so my parents would say Marie, but everybody else called me Marie. That's beautiful. well. So then you did pronounce it wrong, technically. <laughs> my my no. wife's uh, name is Yvonne, or oh yeah, which is French, and no what? one literally every time she goes to Starbucks, it's either Ivan, Ivoni, Ivone. Like no one does it right, so. Usually when I go to Starbucks, people spell my first name M-U-R-R-A-Y. Really? Because of the way that you pronounce it? Murray. Murray. <laughs> Murray. Yeah, Murray. I would watch a uh, three-part documentary on Starbucks uh, people's names and stuff that happens at a Starbucks. Not a one-part. Not a two-part. <laughs> I think you could make three parts out of it. But after that, it would be too much. Yeah. But we're excited. You can have like the, one for Europe, one for the US, one for Asia, and then follow the different trends and different languages. So, yeah. are you from France? Born and raised. I moved to the US in 2009, not 2019. It's been 13 years. I uh, was an exchange student in high school first and worked out of New Jersey for one summer, kept coming back. Finally made it back fully in uh, in 2009 and became American in 2015. What? Um, where did you study in high school? France. I studied in... No, but when you did your exchange, when you oh, did your exchange. One year I was in Madison, Wisconsin. So... Go Packers! I, I find this hilarious. Okay, so people always come. So you're from France. And you're like, I'm going to America, but you end up in Madison, Wisconsin, where you like, where the hell am I? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, what happened? I was surprised, but Madison is such an awesome town. It's we're super Madison warm. is an awesome town. Yeah, that is true. it's college town. Got football, got warm people out of all the places. I mean, they're the ones who Madison was the first place in the United States that had farmers markets. So they are like really, I feel like that's like very European too. So I loved it. It was good. It was cold. It didn't even snow the year I was there, which I was so disappointed. It'd been the first time since the thirties and it didn't snow. I went to one Packers game and it was 62 degrees in November. It was like the one time. And I was very <laughs> happy about that. Yeah. Better than the last game they just had where it was 10 degrees feeling. Like yeah. Zero. No, thank you. No, thank you. 
Yep. It is too damn cold here. So, and it's, yeah, we, we got teased. We had seventies last week and I'm just t- kind of bringing it in, but um, tell us where you are currently, Mary. I'm in Venice beach, California. I live <sighs> on an island in the middle of Los Angeles. I live on the Venice canals and I have water on all four sides of my block and I have to drive over a bridge to get to my block and it's heaven. Oh my God. I love it. Southern California. I tell my wife every day, like we're going to move there. If it were, wasn't for the 13 point super cent rate, we would be there. <laughs> yeah. That is a big price tag to, to have to be ready to pay for that you pay for the sunshine we just had a hangout in santa barbara where i got to hang out with scott in person and everybody was coming from the cold weather said that they were like it's really really nice here but there's a price tag real estate and income tax well it sometimes i mean honestly you pay for your surroundings right and you pay for your situation and Oof! Like I'd, I'd, I would pay for it. I mean, honestly, that's why people do move there and they put up with that. And that's why they, they're able to do that. It's like you raise prices and still people are not going to leave. You can only raise it to a certain point. Yep. I mean, it's really nice. And for our firm too, at first I hired employees in California and now I realized really quickly six months in or less, we stopped hiring California and now we hire all over the U.S., we have 12 employees all over and we only have one in California. Marie, you're you, the way that you have grown and run your firm is very impressive. Give us a little bit of hard numbers, actually. Why don't we just dive Let's in? Let's go right? hard numbers, baby. Get to the hard numbers. So <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. We, well, we start, have recently started to ask three basic questions and let's kind of hear where you're currently at, but then give us like, you know, the, the journey to get there. Right. So top line revenue, cash to owner, or just margins, whatever you want to share, whatever you care to share and headcount, which you've already said 12 people. Yeah. So so we ended 2021, which was six weeks ago. We ended 2021 at 1.3 million in top revenue. Our goal, and we're getting married is to get to a net profit margin of 30%. And we have, when I saw you in Santa Barbara three weeks ago, we had nine employees and now we have 12. How I got Ooh. there, <laughs> I know, we're, and we're still hiring for one more. So after, A, like, to set the the story, like, when we all went to school, there was no, do you want to be the client accounting services director or cast. We didn't have that yet. So when I went to school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, except I knew I wanted it to be in accounting. Got out of school. I worked as a financial management staff for PepsiCo in Paris. Then when I moved to the US, then I worked as a financial analyst for Forever 21 and didn't really like the month to month. I wanted more activity, more like a consulting job. Went back to school got my CPA exam, went the public route for a few years. At first I did bookkeeping to pay for my schooling while I was taking classes to pass my CPA. When that was done, I went to a much bigger firm and then it's, do you want to do audit or tax? Neither was my answer, but you kind of had to pick. 
I went the audit route at first and it's always looking backwards. I wanted to look forward. I wanted to handhold business owners and be like, let's change this and let's do that. You can't, you can only like advise the board to implement changes. That was really frustrating. I looked at the partners of the firm I was working at and I said, I want to do something different. And two of them said, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I'm an accountant at heart. Like here's zero. It was like in 2015, did this giant presentation. I was a senior, you know, like rank two, so far from the top at this firm. And I had all of the partners in a room and I presented them a business plan I had and like ideas with zero and other apps. And, and, and they said, go fuck yourself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they were like, oh, it's great. It's great. It's great. But, you know, we're we're not going to like root for that. Later on, I did one when two of the partners said, okay, we're kind of interested. I presented to them a full loan business plan. I was like, this is how many clients we can get. This is the average revenue. This is how we're going to build this. It's super scalable. I read the book, The Perfect, the Perfect Firm by Rob Nixon, which really lays out how do you create a firm from A to Z. And I tried it. And the partners at that point, two of them were quite open-minded. They said, run with it. This You can run this new department, build it from scratch. So I did that for four years. It was just me when I started with almost $400,000 revenue. And by the time I left three and a half or so years later, I had a team of five and we were at over a million. So I learned a lot. And I had some support for, for certain decisions. But as you guys know, when you're in a public accounting firm, the hardest team to sell this entire like business model to is the IT team. And they weren't stoked about all of my different apps that I wanted to use and implement all the time. And so it didn't really like fit the model of a, a more standard firm, but it was amazing. And I got to work with like awesome people and it was a good training wheels for launching my company in 2019. And it was just me. One of my staff came with me three weeks after I left and we started with $30,000 of revenue a year, not a month. And it was really cool because I left my firm and I told them, I'm like, I'm not taking any clients. I will not do that. And they were very generous. They were, they said, you know, there are clients that we're not going to be able to service or clients we no longer want to service. Let's transition them over to you. So instantly we had more revenue the, at the end of the first three months, because I started in August. So in 2019, we had $120,000 of revenue, one employee. And then in 2022, no, 2020, we were at 650. And I had five employees or six employees. And then 2021, we were at like nine at the end of the year. And now we're at 12. So growing. And I already have the vision of like 2022, three and four. It's mapped out. My org chart is mapped out. Like everything is mapped out. So do you (laughs) feel like you are building the perfect firm now? No, because I actually deviated for some of the, um, it was really emphasize in the book to outsource to the Philippines and Asia. And that's something that we prefer to keep it here locally in North America and not leverage that resource. We tr- 
tried it for a hot second and it just didn't work out for us. So I didn't follow every single recommendations, but it was really helpful to have a how-to guide. The perfect firm for you. Yes. So you said, you know, you built this kind of practice within a public CPA firm and you said you learned a lot. What, what are some of the things that you learned that you changed when you started your own firm? Great question. Thank you. I'm the one who asked your questions here. Great question. You're driving Um, today. This is, this is why (laughs) I hear my questions when I go back and edit. They're terrible. So I think I learned to pick a, I had the, the tech side takes a lot of time when you're starting in the cloud accounting world to figure out which apps work best for you. Which bill pay system are you going to use? Which practice management system are you going to use? Starting a firm with like, okay, I know I want bill.com and I want practice ignition and I want zero and I want et cetera. That makes it so much easier. So A, the app stack was kind of already set up. B, I also had learned how to hire people, how to evaluate performance, how to manage tough clients and create proposals. What I think I changed was the pricing model. Instead of being, I can't say fixed fee, but kind of like, instead of saying, this is my hourly rate, and I'm gonna multiply that by the number of estimated hours, we switched it around to value pricing. We made a lot of mistakes up front. That was like, you know, you learn. And I think that was one of the biggest changes. I also picked the wrong practice management system for us initially. I picked monday.com, but it didn't help us scale fast enough. Like the system just couldn't handle the volume for us. So then we moved to teamwork and that was like, really a good move. So I think standardizing processes and value pricing were two of the things we did very differently that made a big difference. Do you have a niche market that you go after? Somewhat. We, I think it's funny because like a lot of people are like, how do I pick my niche? And I feel like, well, it picks you <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's and like the Harry Potter sorting hat. Yeah. <laughs> it is. A, except Don't I wish that. Yeah. I wish that it had like told me right away <laughs> on day one instead of having to figure it out. So we do a lot of CPG and that's consumer products goods. We do a lot of like e-commerce and it happens that within e-commerce and CPG, we have 60 or 70% of our clients are in the food industry, food manufacturing. So that kind of became its own niche. And then we work a lot with service firms. And I know that's like, well, everybody does, right? But where we are really good at is if they have complex P&L reporting, expenses they need to bill back to customers, custom reporting, and they have to be, for us, the right fit. It is someone who can come in and say, here are the, the ropes, go and do it. Like, I don't need to micromanage or like oversee you. Some a client that will be techie and look at what we offer and be, see the value in it. I love that. So let's talk about, you said you, you've learned how to hire. That's a big thing that firms struggle with myself included. So tell us kind of your hiring process. Yeah, I'm actually really proud of it. 
We hire almost exclusively on LinkedIn. We have a good job description. We're working on improving it. We just hired an agency that's going to help us really hone in onto our mission statement, the value employees and clients can see in the business that we're building. So I think that's going to even add a little bit of a kick to it once we have that special like tagline. But we have, what did you say, Scott? Are you going fearless? Who did you, who did you hire? Yeah, we did. Yep. And that's thanks to the weekend in Santa Barbara with Scott and the little crew. I was mentioning that that was one of my Don't take any advice from Scott. That was oh, I give a lot of great advice. <laughs> I give beautiful advice. You're, I just usually don't take it. You're going to be high in the Mexican mountains within three months with Scott <laughs> if you follow his advice. Well, it was Kristen Keats and Jacob who like, mentioned that they had been working with Fearless Foundry. So we just hired them and I'll let you guys know how it goes. But cool job description. Two questions they have to answer via video. And the reason why I would do that is simply to see, do they have the technical skills to at least record the video? And is their presence client-facing ready? So these are like the two, and are they motivated enough to even record the videos? Because 70% of them don't even do it. So that's what we look for. There's no like a right answer for the questions we ask. It's just, are you doing it? And what are the two questions? One is, why do you want to work here? And the second one is, I don't handle that part anymore, so I can't remember exactly. I think the second one is like, what is something you've overcome or is something you're really proud of at your last firm that you did? I can't recall, but it's along those lines. Then if they get that right, we send them an, a small exercise where we just send them a balance sheet and a PL and we ask them to report back to us what are some of the issues you're noticing. We're not looking for the perfect answer. We're simply looking for, are you motivated enough to even answer us? And do you have like basic writing skills? And are your comments at least within a range of relevant? And sometimes you get really funny I answers. <laughs> I won't lie. Okay. What's a funny answer? We got things like, I had one candidate one time, right? All of his answer was like a three paragraph long about the retain earning line item. And it was like, not what we're looking for. <laughs> he totally went down the rabbit hole on that one. Like, you should have maybe highlight that AR is negative, and that's kind of strange. Or people just pick random little things instead of being really high level, and they go on and on. So we kind of love when it's really like specific. We'll like ping it. Sounds like an accountant. Yeah. Accountants begin to the details. Yeah, like an auditor maybe. We actually don't really hire people who have audit backgrounds because we find that they have an accounting knowledge, but they've never actually been in the bookkeeping specifically. They don't really know how any of the softwares work and they're a little bit too high level. So we find that it works better with somebody who has worked from family office or a different kind of like accounting job. And once they get those, they pass those two, we go through a first round of interviews and that's where uh, if you have ever read or listened to the podcast um, by Patrick Lencioni, he's one of the people I follow when it comes down to human resources, culture, people management, motivation, team building. He wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He wrote Getting Naked and a bunch of other books. 
So I really like that. He had one called like the ideal team player that I really liked. So they first go through this first round, then they go to the second round, which is me. And I was recommended this book that's on my desk right now, Hiring for Attitude. And that really transformed the way we write our questions. Instead of saying, could you tell me about, instead of saying, tell me maybe about a time that you had something hard happen at work and how did you overcome it? You're giving them the answer in the question. So the way we reworded the questions are, could you, because it, the fact that they want to say yes, they're committing and the, the power remains in their hand, right? Like I'm asking them, could you, could you tell me about a time when you face something really difficult at work? And then I let them answer and I try to, to, to see like, did they resolve the issue? What happened? And a lot, and sometimes people are really giving you issues and there's no resolution. And so if I ping or dive a little deeper, deeper, they're like, yeah, I just like, didn't know. So I just like told my boss and then, you know, I went home that night. You're like, okay, good to know. So that's our process. But as you guys know, right now, it's really hard to find people. So it takes us two months to find one person. And it's a long process that we have made the mistakes of hiring too fast and it was not a culture fit. Therefore, we now we really, really wait until it's really like, until it's a hell yes, instead of like, yeah, it's gotta be <laughs> hell yes. I love that. So you've got people all over the country and you hire for culture. Like how do you maintain that culture with having people working remotely? Yeah, great question too. I several things. So one, every week we have a team meeting where we start the week by sharing something we're grateful for someone else on the team. So there's like this, like, it's almost like a thanking each other for what we do as a team and everybody starting the week empowered by something positive, someone, somebody else telling them, you know, thank you so much for doing that last week. That, that really helped me. The second thing that we do is I try to lead with what I call like the feminine and, and it's not about men and women. It's really about energy. I try to lead with compassion and empathy and vulnerability. I share my struggles. I share my doubts. I ask the team for what can we do better? When I make a mistake, I tell them and I explain what happened, which has happened before, like on our Monday call. And if I don't know, I say, I don't know. So I think that helps the team also feel more, that I'm more relatable. And we share also our wins every week about what did we do well? What did we learn? What's something really cool that happened to us this week? Um, we love Slack and we use the little, you can buy this add-on called Tacos, where every time somebody does something that really represents our values or went above and beyond, presented an email or a document that was extremely well written. We hand them a taco and they're those little like taco emojis and they get added up and tracked in Slack. And once we hit 300 tacos as a team, we have a taco Tuesday night, like hang out together and there's different rewards and people feel good. It's like, oh yeah, I just got a taco. Like, and then we can do like hashtags, like hashtag teammate, hashtag communication, hashtag one above and beyond. So during the day we have those tacos 
And uh, we're thinking about introducing the donuts to <laughs> all the health food. Uh, the donuts are live CA. Chad at LiveCA was telling me about them. They're basically pairing two employees together on Slack that maybe haven't talked to each other in a long time. So it says, hey, Amanda and Mario, just go and spend like a 15-minute chat this week just to hang out and see what's going on in your world. And it really like enforces people to connect. We have daily office hours. People can come into a Zoom link where a manager or supervisor is hanging out and just waiting for team members to come in to ask questions. They can be a client-related question. They can be a process question. It doesn't matter. Whatever they want to bring up. We also offer a coaching program from day one. We help you define your three months, six months, 12 months goals. And for each one, you have to have a measurable result. So if we can't measure it, we can't keep the goal. It has to be easy to say, all right, like you've, you now have 12 clients and by in six months, those 12 clients, you'll be able to do a close with very little review notes and you'll become the point of contact. Or, you know, you want to learn how to oversee one staff between now and next year or whatever it is. Like we write down all the goals. We define how we're going to measure them. And we meet with them either, I meet with my management team every two weeks on theirs. Uh, the managers and supervisors meet with the juniors and seniors more like every three to four weeks. And we don't have an annual review process. Everything is based on this recurring ongoing coaching program. We have scorecards. So at each level of the hierarchy, you have a scorecard where you can rank yourself against all of the ideal like it's it's kind of like communication client management work technology how are you ranking on between nine to ten on each line item and then the managers also rank you and then you can compare like where is there a discrepancy and then how can we train you to get to a 10 and once you're close to nine or ten on everything you're ready for promotions so there is no like that's one thing that was really stressful and also frustrating in the firm i used to work at which is there were no specific, like the career path was kind of clear, but it felt very random the way you were ranked at the end of the year. It wasn't against like a measurable item. It wasn't, I couldn't go back and say, no, I disagree with this. You know, I had to wait 12 months to get this and now I'm not in agreement. So we try to make it super clear and easy. So there is no surprises if somebody feels like they're under or overperforming. Who defines the goals? They do. And is it firm related or is it life? What's the... This is actually a really good point. I think we should add life. That is a very good point. Right now it's firm related. We do have a couple of employees that have, you know, maybe said, oh, I want to be able to have more work-life flexibility. Like, especially my two top employees that we're really trying to have them get off work earlier. So that's in a way like it's business, but it's also personal, like they need more work-life balance. So that's a good point. We only do business right now. Yeah, because if, if you have them do a definable life goal, you can try to make that align yeah. with the firm with their firm goal, but also you can be mindful of what else they have going on and it also just keeps everybody engaged to a larger degree. And then 
you know, a lot more empathy or caring among the team. Like, yeah, you know, if they're paying attention to what's, what's your life goal right now? My life goal is to be able to work hopefully like 30 to 40 hours a week instead of a hundred at the beginning. And to my family, my parents and my siblings live in France. So I'd like to be able to work remotely three to four weeks a year out of France and to be able to be financially able to like buy a home in LA and have a family and be able to like afford having a family in LA. Those are like the big ones. I love that. So go ahead. Yeah. I'm working too with like Ryan Lozanis from Preacher Firm. And then he has a program where he really helped me identify the first thing he, he asked each founder is what are your personal goals? And it's, I think a lot of the program is based on traction, the book, but it's really helpful to be, what are your goals personally? And then what are your firm goals? And are they even aligned? And that was a big aha moment for me to be like, oh, okay, like this is what I need. So it sounds like you set up your firm kind of in a traditional model. You've got associate, senior, manager. How are you doing that to scale? Like, do you think that a certain pod can have a certain amount of clients and then you need to hire? I guess, how are you kind of structuring the firm for growth and figuring out how much someone can do? Yeah. So the way we kind of like structured ourselves is yes, there are pods. So there can, right today we have one large pod. Over time, there'll be multiple once we have more managers. We have a lot of supervisors, but we're growing them into managers. Each manager has a couple of supervisors and then juniors and seniors, which are kind of like, they're not at the same level, obviously, but we kind of put them in a bundle. There's only really three tiers and they can handle a certain like bulk of clients. On the side, we already have an operations manager. We just hired an administrative assistant and an operations assistant who are the operations assistants going to help with like the onboarding of clients, onboarding of new team members, helping us make sure that every single task from the moment a client sells buys a product like is being inputted in our tracking system. And then the administrative assistant is going to help with more admin tasks and support the operations team as well. So that's our more flexible, like not client facing team. Soon I would like to be able to hire a head of technology that would be the person testing all the apps, demoing them for us, helping them get set up and train people on them. That's coming in the future. But I, the, the accounting portion of the business, we're not going to put them in buckets of all you do is CPG food and then all you do is professional services unless they want to. And we are starting to see people want to specialize. We're starting, we're at that level where we have enough wiggle room that people can kind of still decide what pod they want to be in. Down the road, it will be a lot more structured where we have to be able to standardize our service offering. And therefore, we have to be able to put people in like, okay, CPG food, this is your training. This is what you need to know about it. And now you can service as many CPG companies as possible. What's CPG? Consumer product goods. Okay. Thanks. Scott. I thought it was Club Pro guy. He he already uh, yeah. she already actually said that like twenty minutes ago. But I heard it, but I just still forgot it already. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it was kind of so why'd you pick la i okay so that's actually a really funny like another funny thing i feel like when people move to la for three reasons one is they come here for work or for school they come here because they're, they're following the relationship they're in like boyfriend girlfriend or whatever and the third one is they want to be famous. I fall in the middle category and the first one in the way. Met a guy, fell in love, was going to go to grad school, picked LA because he was in LA. Obviously, the relationship didn't work out, but that was how I ended up here and never left. And it's been... Uh, fell in love with the place. Yes, 100%. How can you not? It's so pretty. It does have traffic, but now that I work from home... I only hang out in my little neighborhood by the beach. I feel pretty good. I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I love it. So you're, now your firm only does outsource accounting. Yes, correct. So no tax returns, no. Nope. So how, I guess, do you partner with other firms that do tax returns? How do you, when, when clients ask for these other services, how do you refer them out? We offer that. I always, even if it's insurance, uh, broker, attorneys, bankers, tax CPAs, we always give them a few options, like maybe two to three. I send two to three introductions and let them choose based on personality match. I kind of gauge like their budget as well. And like, I know I'm not going to introduce them to a top, you know, five firm in the US if they're looking at a tax return under $1,000. So it kind of depends. We do, the only things that we do that are beyond bookkeeping and accounting, we do a little bit of virtual CFO work, and but we prefer partnering with other virtual CFOs. It's super fun. They love having us because the books are super clean and they are doing more of like the hourly heavy work that they can't really like, like virtual CFO means I have to do it. So we try not to sell too much of that right now. We do have vir like virtual controller level services that are easier to like offer. And we uh, help a lot with sales tax returns and we refer everything out. So every other work is referred out to, I think we have four or five like CPAs that we really like and, and work really well with. And based on the personality of the client, we can't like handpick who we need to introduce them to. So when you're meeting with a new client, I guess, what's your process um, to see if they're a good fit for you? Just talk about your process. Ideally, they would first go through the screening, which is a, a short questionnaire we have on our website that kind of identifies their industry, their budget, the volume of transactions, what kind of services they're looking for, and... A lot of the times, I'm a CPA, so people instantly think I do taxes. I'm like, nope, don't do that. So we really have to like screen people out. Like, we are not here to offer you tax services. We also stopped working with certain industries. Everything related to non for profit. I call Kevin uh, Nobles down in LA as well. He's also. Um, your ambassador in LA and like Kevin got a client for you we're not touching it yeah we so we kind of like screen their industries if we don't work with that specific industry we let them know instantly we don't go to the next steps if they are within the range of clients we're excited to work with and able to service we move to a discovery call so it's uh myself and my onboarding specialist we go through the call together 
ask all of our questions. Hopefully, sometimes we're able to review QuickBooks before if, or a zero before. Otherwise, we do it after the fact, before we prepare the proposal. Once we're at the end of the, the discovery call meeting, we schedule our proposal review meeting, which is only 15 minutes. We present three options to the clients. They get to pick the one they like most or customize it. And we send them the final proposal, the link by a few hours after the meeting at the latest, if we have to update it. And then they sign on, we send them a welcome email, we send them a checklist of all the items that we need. And my onboarding specialist manages that part. So when you get to that final phase, so you're doing like a true value pricing where you have three options. Yeah. Like what's the closing rate when you get to that final phase? It really ranges. So the way I think about it is today, the base currency is a pilot or a bench.co who offshore all the work. So you're kind of thinking like a three to $500 is what you can get through them. We start our fees at minimum five to a thousand, depending on I'll do $500 if like we have so many entities and they're all part of the same, you know, overall client. We'll start at a thousand if it's bookkeeping, reporting, review work, like meaning like we, we don't have any clients to whom we just shoot the balance sheet in PL. to we analyze everything. We always give key um, takeaways at the end of each month to each client. And we also try to think of the fact that we're here to do more than just bookkeeping. If you need us just for bookkeeping, we're not going to be the right match. So most of our offering starts at a thousand and it goes up from there with, do you need payroll? Do you need us to handle all your bill pay? Should, do we need to invoice your customers and track every single receipt and identify what customer it's for and add net markups and make sure that gets billed back with the monthly retainer to each customer, et cetera. So we and manage AR and call your past due customers. So the range is pretty wide and our average client fee per month, like our average recurring would be Ideally, we're trying to get to 1500 but we're closer to 1000 1100 right now. So you said you're only doing bookkeeping, but you're doing a wide range within that bookkeeping from yeah. AR to AP and all this stuff. I guess, how do, you, how do you handle, so you start with a client and they're like, I want you to do bookkeeping and you know do my reports and give my KPIs and stuff. And then they move to something else that they want. We continuously... Well, A, I think one of the things that we do, I think, pretty well is our discovery call. I, we ask a lot, we don't ask them, what do you need? Instead, we like really go through all the different accounting areas, AR, AP, payroll. And we really ask several questions to figure out what are your actual needs? What do you need? And we, when we prepare the final proposal with the three tiers, we kind of show them like, this is the bare minimum. This is like everything once you can maybe afford that level. And this is, I think, where we're going to be in the middle. And we really try to show them what do you actually need? And a lot of clients are like, you know what? This takes me seven hours. Like, I'm ready to pay for that now. Let's just get it over with. So now I can focus on sales. I can focus on developing my business. So by showing them like what, like the whole widespread, 
and helps them define their final proposal. Rarely do we prepare a three-tier proposal and they're like, this option is the final one. Usually we customize it until it answers their needs. As they grow, they start to need more services. For example, we have some clients that are selling a product and they're only selling it through Shopify. So it's easy, right? Like our sales, we also do all the sales tax returns and Nexus tracking. So the sales tax return is super straightforward. We just dump the data from Shopify and then we can file it with Avalara. And it gets more complicated once they start to have wholesalers. At that point, we have to make sure that when they like get they're paid, selling on Amazon or some place like that. Yeah. So then we just help them. We're like, hey guys, like this is what we can do for you. Like in the food industry, it's a nightmare when you start to have to deal with like deductions. So if you sell like yogurt and you sell it to Whole Foods, they're gonna come back and they're not gonna pay you a thousand dollars for your yogurt invoice. They're gonna pay you seven hundred because they're gonna deduct chargebacks and discounts and promotions and coupons and all that kind of good stuff. So we have to itemize that for every single client. We're now starting to like try to find partnerships with other firms that specialize in only doing this piece, but it is something they need from us to be able to manage an, even an external resource. So as the moment we hear the word UNFI and KEHI as like a potential wholesaler, we jump onto a big conversation about, do you need an EDI invoicing system, which is like an electronic way to invoice those really large wholesalers? Do you need deductions management? And yeah, so as they grow, we constantly have those conversations about you're at this stage, you should watch out for the following step. So when, when is a client too big for you? Because we only work on QuickBooks and Zero, usually when they're on NetSuite or a much larger ERP system, we refer it out. We had a client that started with two employees with an 18 month, they had gone through a series A and a series B and had fundraised $60 million. So they went from like two employees to a hundred employees. We knew right away when we saw the first series A happen, I sat down with the CEO and I was like, you need to hire somebody. You're going to have to fire us. Like, that's your goal. You're going to have to figure out how to fire us quickly. And I was like, hire someone, we'll work with them. And it took like a year to do the whole transition. But we, we just saw it. And at that point, I was like, we're not going to be able to onboard and manage and do HR for 100 employees. You need an HR director. You need an internal accountant because the contracts were really complex. So we were able to like, still do some of the reporting for them and the high level like accounting, but they needed somebody in-house to handle all the details. So those are, it's really like when they get, it's not a dollar amount. I used to think we like, we can't serve as a client if they're like 20 millions and over. No, that's actually like, it depends on like a SaaS client is a lot different than a consumer product goods client. So we kind of take it one client at a time and guide them through that. And we're very open about it. Like we always tell them like, we know you're going to have to let us go at some point. You're going through your series A and Bs. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. where's your head at right now. Like, okay, so if a year from now you want to hire a CFO, you might want to start by hiring an accountant and then a senior accountant and we can oversee them as you transition into the CFO or you hire a CFO today and we'll be your staff accountants. So we kind of like guide them through those conversations. But I tend to bring it up first because I know they're anxious. They don't want to tell me they're going to let me go. <laughs> I love that. I tell people Great. the same thing too. We're... Yeah, that's the goal, right? It's like Yeah, gonna, your goal is to get rid of me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Goal to outgrow. 
So um, Marie, where are you at with your vision and your why? Nothing has changed since I saw you in Santa Barbara, but <laughs> we are excited because I think I think what drives people is specificity. Oh, okay, I'm going to do a completely different anal- analogy. Like this weekend, I was hanging out with some friends. I went skiing, and uh, one of my friends was saying how the reason why country music is so, and I love country, the reason why country music is so popular, it's because it's really specific. Like when mm-hmm. it's cried that old Ford, like blue Ford truck and that little brown fluffy dog and the girl in the red dress, people can visualize that and therefore they can really associate and like feel compelled to, oh yeah, I totally relate. And we're trying to get to a place where our mission statement and our vision are specific that people can be like, I'm in. I totally re- relate to this. Right now, it's a little too broad. It's to help people uh, reach their goals faster. Uh, well, actually, it's more like to help business owners and entrepreneurs f- be able to focus on their own goals. And we're here to support you. You know, but it's like it's too vague. We're trying to oh, get. Oh God, this- ours is so vague too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> God, I, I can't even remember ours because it's so vague. It's like entrepreneurs to prosper. And the team loves it, but oh God, I don't like it. Like it's just not specific, right? Like, Yeah. And I think the mission statement and the vision, there's two parts. There's like the one that's client facing. I think that one can be a little bit more vague, but I think internally we need like a a statement that's like, oh my God, we're going to be adding like 500,000 jobs to the U.S. market over the next 20 years or whatever. And it's something that we could actually measure. And that is something we can't put our finger on right now, which is why we hired Fearless Foundry to help us define vision, mission values, our ideal like client personas, our brand identity, and help us then with that information and revamp a lot of our communication tools. So it's exciting. It's a big investment, but it's exciting. So you said you've mapped out the next two years. Yeah. What is that? What What's that map look like? Is it a treasure map? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they said like I can make my own plans, but you never know what's going to happen. So it's kind of like a. There's a country song, "Jesus Take the Wheel." There you go. Like that. <laughs> Pretty also, much. John Lennon said something like that too, right? Like, like men make plans, God laughs. Plans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the plan is... We'll I guess he didn't far. plan to get shot. Yeah. The <laughs> plan right laughing. now <laughs> is by the end of so 2023, so in two more, or 20, yeah, by the end of 2023, we'd like to be 20 on the team and have a total revenue of 2.5. So... We've doubled every year, and we don't want that to be the case this year. We want to maybe get from 1.3 to 1.8, but ideally do like a 25 to 50% growth and not overwhelm the team with so much more work. So we're trying to get to a place of we say no more often. We have not, we didn't, we took on like four clients between September and February. So we have not taken on like, almost any clients because we've been like saying, no, we're out of capacity. Like I want the team to be fully trained before we take on work, which is scary because right now I'm like, we got to cover our costs, but I know it's coming. Like we all have the same issue. Finding clients is not hard. Having the right team in places. (laughs) And we're really trying to invest in like, let's hire, let's train. And starting March, we're going to start onboarding new clients that we're talking to right now. 
question for Ackerman. Yes, sir. Ackerman, what does quality control mean to you in practice? Well, that was my question during our hangout. And so I was like asking every single founder, what is quality control? And what was cool is, I think Kenji from Acuity was the one who answered my question. He said, I want to hear what Ackerman's going to say too. Yeah, that's true. This isn't about me. It's not about me. Let's hear what Kenji had to say. Basically, that it's before the work goes out, it has to be reviewed. And that was like a simplification of it. And, you know, but today we have a manager or a supervisor review everything that goes out every single month. We don't issue anything unless a manager or supervisor has reviewed it, which I realized not everybody does, which is kind of cool because I was like, it's true. Like, do we really need to check? a bounty and a PL of every single client on a cash basis. If the bank is integrated with zero, maybe not. But so far we have, because we feel like it's also part of the training and the onboarding of, of the team. I also have been dabbling and researching tools that have the capacity to scan all of your files, all of your QuickBooks files, your zero files, and tell you a hundred entries seem really out of whack. And uh, another 59 transactions are pending unreconciled for the past nine months. I think we would catch these things, but maybe we can't. And maybe having a system that can audit the books could be helpful, but right now it's not part of our spending. Zero HQ does a pretty good job on that. Yeah, we're, we're doing good enough that I'm like, I don't think we need that quite yet, but we will when we get larger. For sure. What does it mean to you, Ackerman? Quality control. I don't know. We, so we're not heavy bookkeeping. We do all the confirmation with the tax return. So like the month to month stuff, and we do a lot of month to month, but we might miss some coding things completely right. But when we do the tax return is when we really focus and make sure all the bookkeeping's done correctly. Well, quality control in tax returns. What does that mean? So I guess it means that we review it and make sure it's right. So I, so like, for instance, when we review a tax return, we make sure there's documentation for everything on the balance sheet, which is kind of what you do uh, when you're doing what you should be doing on accounting monthly, you know, so we make sure the balance sheet's right. We check the income statement. So that's the first step. And then when it goes on the tax return, then you're making sure all that is correct by doing a series of reviews. Yeah, I totally agree with that balance sheet work papers, basically. I think the audit background was really helpful for that. And we've just actually, Kat, my um, manager, completely revamped our work book, like our work papers. And it's really helpful because not only do you know your balance sheet is right, but I think it really helps the juniors and seniors to understand how do you get to this number? Does this number tie to... QuickBooks are zero. Why are you off? And and it's almost like a self-review for them. And then finally, exactly. when you the supervisor, they're already like tick and tying and it's pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, when, when you first start, like, and clients too, they focus on the income statement. But the income statement's like completely worthless unless the balance sheet's right, obviously. Yep. So it's like teaching your, and that's what I tell all of our young people is that and then also you know the first thing when if a client you know we have a lot of 
clients that do their own books throughout the year and we review it normally once a year sometimes and it's just a complete mess because they don't ever look at the balance sheet. A hundred percent. I always say the same thing. I'm like, and that if your balance sheet is right, everything else is either income or an expense. And an expense yeah, is just it's just labor. coded, Ron. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're on, okay. we're on, the, we're on yeah. the same page. I know. I love it. And it's it takes so much more time and effort, right? To like, I'm like, yeah, I want you guys to download every single bank statement. I need a screenshot. I need it to tie it to the belt. And it takes time. But that peace of mind of the quality products that goes out super worth it yeah and that's something you got to charge your client for like you have to tell them hey we're doing this quality yeah. review to make sure everything's correct and that's yeah. something that a lot of firms don't do and not just the bookkeeping but the tax yeah. turn side too like you, yeah you have you have a senior or an associate prepare the tax turn you look at it and like you could obviously tell nobody above that looked at it <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's, it's the first thing I do is uh, because when I was building the cast department at the, my old firm, I was part of the tax department and we're really good at connected accounting at like, creating what we call the tax packet. So at the end of the month, we, at the end of the year, we do balance sheet, P&L, general ledger, trial balance in Excel. We send it to the tax team with all the support document we know they want, all the bank recs, bank statements, 941s for payroll, W3s. Etc. So we send everything into a night, like neatly packaged gift. I love present. that. Yeah. So the well, so the tax firms must love you, and they like. Oh refer, yeah, they do because they don't. I refer 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 yeah. word to you all the time. I love like a good. There's nothing better than a good bookkeeping firm. Yeah, there's and nothing we better. Retain earnings, and there's also year. nothing worse than a bad bookkeeping firm. I know it's like why is retain earnings out by a hundred thousand? It's like you're paying. Yeah, you're paying yeah. this bookkeeping this bookkeeper, and they like literally can't balance a balance sheet like yeah. that's not they ideal prior year data. i had someone yeah i had someone who like emailed me and they're like i'm working with this quickbook advisor and i was like okay and then i looked at the balance sheet and like cash was negative two hundred thousand. and i'm like i have a lot of concerns here <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you do with the money and he's oh, like he's like why is she so good i'm like well look at this balance sheet so yeah a hundred percent my number one pet peeve is retainer earning changing. So I'm always like, lock the books at the end of each single month. Everything gets locked. Mm -hmm. And we always ask the tax CPAs, like, can you send us over all of your AGEs and your workbooks and your trial balance? Because we're going to tie yeah. back. To so you would like us because I go, we go into the QuickBooks and do it ourselves and then lock the balance when we do that's the tax. Awesome. Oh, that's great. Well, maybe we can <laughs> talk offline about what kind of industries you work with because that might be a really good <laughs> partnership here. Look, we just made, Scott, we just made money. I, I'm yeah. like, my firm, I, I like, I've kind of made the decision, like, we're not going to do heavy bookkeeping. If it gets, we'll do like very light booking, like year-end reconciliations. This is a new decision yeah. that he's made. And, well, we've kind of, we've never, if we've gotten to a point with a client where they need the stuff that you offer, AR, AP, payroll. Right. That's all outsourced. So we're not going to do that because it really takes a specialized, it, it's complex, especially it's when you're talking thing. about like you're doing sales tax, like you have a, a company making $4 million and they're filing 27 sales tax returns. Like that's burdensome. Yeah. <laughs> and you it's need an expert. Release. And especially like, like you said, Shopify, it's easy, but they're selling on Amazon. They're also selling directly to consumers and you're having yeah. 
that makes it very complex. And I, I don't think that, that have people like get eight that. or nine sales channels. And that's also why people are always like, well, can you just do my tax return? It's easy. My answer is like, no. We're, First of all, we're there's easy. no tax return that's and, easy. No, I it's, know. And like we stay in our lane. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm an expert at bookkeeping and accounting. I will let the tax preparers be experts and you need both. You can't have it all under one bucket unless they have very specialized teams, but that's yeah, not up. That's kind of what I've come to the, uh, it's like if we want to do bookkeeping right, we need a completely separate bookkeeping team that only focuses on that. And you need a special person to lead that. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, Marie, Marie's don't draw on trees. They don't. <laughs> yeah. I wish they did. I wish I could go to the Marie tree and pull down a Marie and say, lead this bookkeeping team. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't have, yeah, I could, I don't I, have I the Marie tree. I could that tree too and be like, can I get more oh, Marie That is the on title of this episode. <laughs> okay. Marie tree. Okay, we, we've taken up. We're, we're almost at an hour. Marie, you've been amazing. Marie, give us a good quote in French. <laughs> A good quote. Yes. How do you say in French, Scott, you fucking idiot, go <laughs> home and go to bed? I'm home right now. <laughs> yeah, he's already <laughs> home. I got plenty of sleep last night. <laughs> I wanted okay, I wanted to ask you a question about France though, and yeah. accounting. So what's like what's the biggest difference from accounting in in France to accounting here? Because I'm assuming zero. you only do do you you only do U.S. companies right now, or you yeah, do we all only do U.S. companies. So. I think the big difference is the technology. They don't have access to what we have. No, no, because of the language difference. Oh, it's worse. Yeah, because like Bill.com and all those apps, whether they're Australian, American, Canadian, or or you can, they all speak English, so they already have this given market. The translation to France and French and the IFRS and all that kind of stuff, not so financially valuable. So they they mainly work on Sage products and that's about Ugh. it. They don't have any of the apps and the tech like stack that we have. They It's not available. Like I would tell my dad to go and Expensify when he, because he's running his own business and he's on it, but he can't put any of his team members on it because it's only in English. <laughs> That's so, so interesting. He, so and it makes sense because, you know, English is the predominant. Yeah. You, know, you got the U.S., Australia, these big countries, but you get a country like France where basically French, like what are the countries that speak French? France Canada and like, a little bit, but they're still yeah, bilingual in English. You don't back, really need that. Yeah. So you're basically, you have to build a software for that yeah. language conversion that takes a lot of time. Never thought yeah, about that. Not what a it. great question I asked. Yeah, that is a great question. Scott, write down that. That was a good question. <laughs> I love Let France. I was just in France with my wife. We were in uh, Nice. Oh, cool. I actually did a podcast in September. Oh, awesome. I was what, there in September, too. What part of... My parents live in uh, Brittany, West Coast. So, like, San Malo. It's, like, right right next to, like, Mount San Michel, that, like, castle out in the oh, water. Oh, yeah, San Michel. Yeah. So, they live right next to that. I love that. My wife and I, we go to like fancy restaurants. So in uh, Menton, Menton mm -hmm. has uh, Mirazur, Mirazur, yep. which is so we went for that. But That's I love cool. And we went to uh, Sam Tropez, which we yeah. loved. It's a great France is the best. <laughs> well, I love living in the US and having my family live in France because even though it's sad and like I miss them all the time. I get to have a vacation house in France. Yeah, where I exactly. Can just go and like, hey guys, 
I'll see you in four weeks. I'm going to go work out of my parents' house by the beach. <laughs> see ya. So, yeah. Okay. Give us, before we go, give our CPA entrepreneur listeners one piece of advice that you've learned throughout your journey. Pick one thing that's going to make a big difference in your firm and focus on that. Don't try to do a gajillion small stuff. Just pick one, a new software, a new practice management tool, a new bill pay system, a new, like pick one thing, get it done before you try to implement everything else. Pick one thing from that. the ray tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to harvest that tree. Uh, oh God, that tree is it's bountiful. It's a bountiful tree. Bountiful. The most beautiful French pears you could ever have off the of Marie Phillips tree. Marie, this has been amazing. Same Thank you, here. Marie. We'll meet in person one day. We'll do all your tax returns. You can take over all of our bookkeeping. That sounds good. That'll be amazing. Maybe I'll see Thank you, you in New Orleans in the summer. In August. Well, they not keep even changing the, the date. Anymore. So, um, it, you know, the, <laughs> they moved it from like the perfect weather in New they Orleans to yeah. literally the worst time you should ever go to New Orleans, which is in August. Like the hurricane. It's oh. not even the hurricanes. It's going to be 110 degrees and 200% humidity. Well, I'll be inside the whole time. That's like, uh, that's like visiting the opposite of uh, the blanket con. Yeah. The Austin. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. cool. Yeah, that was in Austin. Marie, you've been amazing. I will visit Thanks, you Marie. in uh, Venice Beach. Sounds good. With the bodybuilders. Yes. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Jason. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a great episode. And wouldn't it be great if you could earn CPE credit for that? Now you can. Visit earmarkcpe.com to sign up for free and earn free CPE credit for listening to this show. That's earmarkcpe.com.